Hello and welcome everyone once again to the 49ers Future Podcast. We're now up to episode 12 of the podcast and we're excited to be here. As always, I am your host, Y2 Lamanaki, and also one of the moderators over at the Football's Future Forum, specifically the 49ers Forum. With me, as always, my co-host, co-moderator, co-friend, Forge. Forge, welcome back. Episode 12. Thank you, sir. Thank you. I appreciate it. 12 episodes in and 7 and 0. You're welcome. 7 and 0. 49ers fans. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we still have not had to discuss a loss here on the 49ers Future Podcast. We are 7 and 0. Uh, just for the second time ever in team history, and it's it feels great. It's something that we've only experienced once. That was in 1990. So uh, let's talk about the team, and I think that a good place to start with this game, uh, a 51 to 13 blowout over the Panthers, is with the head coach. Because when you have a team that has done that successfully, and the score is that lopsided, it's it's clearly a factor of of excellent coaching. And I think Kyle Shanahan. Uh, you know, just deserves a world of credit. He started his career here 10 and 22, had two rough seasons. There were times last year when you can tell that he just was beaten down from all the losing. There were some photos coming out of him in the locker room, just kind of like sitting on the ground and just looking, just looking depressed. And, and you know, now he already has a career high in coaching, uh, in his head coaching career in victories with the seventh win. And he had an excellent game plan yesterday. What did what did you like about that game plan? Wow. Yes. Was it fantastic? I mean, it was so great. So here's here's my thing, and I've I've mentioned this a couple of times in the past where I'm just not I'm not a huge proponent of the the short passing attack. And and because I think it's very difficult to sustain drives when you constantly have to go 10, 11, 12 plays. And Jimmy Garoppolo right now is 31st in the NFL in terms of uh, how often he throws downfield 20 yards or more. He's uh, less than eight and a half percent. So he doesn't do it often. So in that particular instant, you know, situation, I, I don't love it, but yes, you know, we're sort of at the mercy of our, our circumstances right now. And definitely what he has managed to do though, is put in so much creativity with some of these uh, with some of the short passing offense you know, and with the run game and he's sort of mitigating, you know, the, the injuries that we have. And it's, it's really just amazing to see. I mean, I know that it wasn't a passing play, but my favorite play yesterday was the Debo Samuel 20 yard run. And it was so amazing. Oh, definitely. Oh God. It was great to see because it was such a minor wrinkle, but when had I, I, when have you ever seen, when have I ever seen just that little wrinkle of the, you know, the, they didn't actually like they kind of I, I don't know I can't remember off the top of my head actually if they actually did the play play action fake to Emmanuel Sanders but they did okay they did so they play action the uh the 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 fake to, to Sanders on the end around or on the jet sweep they froze Bradbury on the outside which is the big thing there if you go back and watch and then they gave it to Debo on an inside trap which by the way Lake and Tomlinson Daniel Brunskill amazing job yesterday they blew blew open holes all day on the right side so uh really great showing from them in the ground game and then Debo was gone and if you look uh you know Bradbury is just frozen up at the top and he thinks Sanders has the ball and he's you know he's closing off the sideline and then that extra step and a half two steps that he had uh, just took him out of the, the entire play and, and it was an easy touchdown for Debo. But just the game calls, you know, these little shovel passes underneath like middle screens and things like that. 
he's just done such an amazing job with creating space where there's just not a lot of it because they're they know we're throwing short they know we're going quick and he's still finding a way to between the run games between the passing games keep defenses on their toes and find openings and it's just amazing he was great game plans yesterday just 100 he is such a phenomenal uh in-game coach it's amazing yeah luke keekley was uh caught off guard by that play as well uh and he was visibly frustrated uh, when you watch that on the replay, it, I liked I liked seeing that. I mean, he was a Panthers guy that was frustrated, and it's it's great. You know, I've never seen a play call like that. the The timing on that was incredible. The fact that they, you know, had Emmanuel Sanders running the jet sweep and the fake, and then the timing of the the trap to to Debo is is just incredible. But that said, Forge, it's time for your favorite Y two game: the impossible statistic, historical reference, trivia time. Okay, so this I'm, week I'm ready. I've been studying. All right, this week I want to ask you: Can you name the last team to go seven and zero and not make the playoffs? Now, I'm going to preface this by saying that I will accept two different answers for this, which is what I refer to as a micro clue, in that it's a decent, very minor clue, but it probably will only help once you've heard the answer. I'll explain why after. But the the last team to go seven and zero and not make the playoffs. Um. I, I wait the the Chiefs when they did all the back when they played all the backups was like 2013 2014. Did they make the playoffs that year? I think they did actually. They did. Uh, they lost in the wild card round. Yeah, that's right. In the in the Colts game, I think. Uh, yeah, I got nothing. All right. <laughs> well, the answer is. The 1948 San Francisco 49ers. <laughs> yeah. And, and at the time, they were not even an NFL team. So they played for the All-America Football Conference. And it wasn't like it was some historic collapse that led to the team missing the playoffs. It, you know, that was probably the best of the, the Buck Shaw era 49ers. The, that would be the head coach for those not too familiar with early 49er history. You know, that team was quarterbacked by Frankie Albert, featured the rookie debut of the legendary Joe Perry. The Niners finished 12-2. and two. Um, both of those losses came in one score games to the undefeated Cleveland Browns. Yes, those same Cleveland Browns who would go on to win the conference's title. But back then, the winner of each division played in the championship. And we had the unfortunate luck to be in the division with the Browns who went on to obliterate the Buffalo Bills. No, not those Buffalo Bills, a different team with the same name by a score of 49 to 7. So to put that into some perspective, the last team, the last time a team that started 7-0 missed the playoffs the historical event from which we derive our name was not yet 100 years old. So <laughs> it, it's, it, it hasn't happened in a while. And, and, you know, the reason that I would accept two answers would be that it wasn't technically an NFL team that missed the playoffs. So to find the last 7-0 and team to miss the playoffs in the NFL, you have to go all the way back to the 1934 Detroit Lions. Similar to the 49ers, they finished with a respectable record, 10-3. and uh, But the only... Only the top teams in the division played in the championship, which meant the undefeated Bears got to continue on. Only three other teams have started 7-0 and missed the playoffs. And certainly, I'm sure Forge, you, and, and everybody listening were ready to name the, the 1931 Portsmouth Spartans, the 1921 Akron Pros, and the 1920 Buffalo All-Americans. So congratulations, NFL, on your 100th season. Those are... <laughs> wow. <laughs> but this, this basically means the playoffs, though. I mean, no team in the Super Bowl era has ever started 7-0 and missed the playoffs it, it just hasn't happened 10 teams in the super bowl era have went on to win a super bowl after seven and oh 
uh, most recently the 2015 Broncos. Uh, another eight teams went on to lose in the Super Bowl, including last year's Rams and then the Broncos opponent in 2015, the Carolina Panthers. The worst a team has ever finished in a 16-game season after starting 7-0 would be those 2013 Kansas City Chiefs at 11-5. and um, That also happened to the 2000 Minnesota Vikings and the 91 New Orleans Saints. So that's some fantastic news. And especially when you're looking at the fact that we have two w- w- very winnable games against the Cardinals, one against the Falcons, that's already putting us at 10 wins. That's already double digits right there. Yeah, um, I don't think now- there's any – yeah, there's definitely no – no doubt that we're in the playoffs at this point. I, I, I think, and, and, you know, not to get ahead of ourselves or anything like that, but I, I do think as fans, sure. we can we can look at that and realize what a, you know, Titanic-like collapse that would be uh, with regards to not making the playoffs. So now I'm looking at, I, I mean, honestly, and, and you know, I, I'm not playing in these games, so I can look ahead. It's just fine. I'm looking at Same. bye weeks and, and home field advantage. Yeah. Uh, the division title alone and and not getting a bye week would be a disappointment at this point. And the good news is, is we really control the destiny. So all of the teams that, you know, we have to worry about, with the exception of the Vikings, they're on our schedule. You know, we can beat the Seahawks twice. We can beat the Packers. We can beat the Saints. We we can control from this point, you know, what happens. Now, obviously, you can control it by going 16-0. That'd be great. You're going to get a bye if you do that. But it, just having those games on the schedule kind of have the the big game feel, you know, when we might already have double digit wins when we go up against the the Packers for the first time, that's going to be huge. It's it's going to be huge to get that preparation before the playoffs, face those teams and and see what's coming up. Let me let me ask you just cuz I'm curious and again we're we're talking way down the line here, but if um are you a rest your players guy when you know if you're way up in the standings, you know, are you're two games up going into the the final week, do you rest your starters the last week or Two weeks if you need, you know, if you're three games up with two to go. What's your stance on that? I'm I'm conflicted on that. And the reason I'm conflicted isn't isn't for, you know, an undefeated season and playing for that kind of thing. That to me doesn't matter as much. But you don't want the players to get rust, especially when they're going to have a bye week built in, um, hopefully. So if if you're up that big, I, I think the players I would rest are the ones that are banged up. So the ones who have been you know, had some nagging injuries. You want to rest them up for the playoffs, make sure they're, they're extra fresh. I think those guys you rest. Um, but if there's, you know, otherwise I, I would, I would play the the starters until you no longer need them. So if you're, you're in a game and you're up three scores in the third, then maybe you put in the backups and, and, you know, just try and play it out from there. So that way the, the rest hasn't happened, or even maybe just playing the backups in the second half regardless since if you've already clinched so and what about you that's that's actually my my stance on it I'm sort of a meet in the middle type of guy I think you I think you play your starters in the first half I, I injuries like serious injuries are, are fairly rare I know that it seems like they happen all the time but given the number of you know NFL players in the plays and, and so on there you know percentage wise are fairly rare but I think you just play your your starters and, and make treat it like play, you know preseason game number three. You play them for a, a half and then you take them out at halftime and you let them at least get the you, the feel of being in an NFL game and playing an NFL action and then you just pull them. I, I think that's fine and I think that keeps everybody somewhat you know ready to go and without you know completely taking on all the risk of a possible injury. So let's let's finally get to discussing the game. Uh, it's great discussing all the wins and the future playoffs, but the team had a very impressive victory, uh, fifty-one to thirteen, as we mentioned at the top. 
So I want to start with the offense for for the first time in, in quite a while. Usually we start with the defense because the defense has been lights out. It was still lights out this week, but when a team scores 51 points and when the defense, you know, they had some turnovers that led to those points, but otherwise it was the offense that did all the scoring. I want to start there. So on offense, I think the, the player that clearly stood out the most would be Tevin Coleman, who had his best game as a 49er, went over 100 yards rushing for the first time with the 49ers. And of course, we're talking four offensive touchdowns on 13 touches. So Forge, I'm going to give you a, I'm going to give you a second try at this. Can you name the last player to score four touchdowns on 13 or fewer touches? Wow. It, it, across the entirety of the NFL? Yes. Oh, um, I got, mm, no, no. It's going to be something weird like Drew Bennett, isn't it? Is that your guess? Yeah, I'm going to go with like Drew Bennett. Okay. I gave you a layup because it happened last week. Marvin Jones did it. I will give myself some credit. I knew it had to be a receiver. <laughs> there we go. I'll take credit for that. So yeah, I guess that is kind of a trick question because, of course, uh, Marvin Jones is a wide receiver uh, and wide receivers, it's easier for them to hit those kind of numbers. So to put it in better context for Tevin Coleman, uh, running back, the last running back to hit those numbers was TJ Duckett for the Falcons back in 2004. Had 12 carries, 65 yards, four rushing touchdowns. Uh, you know they were all one-yard rushing touchdowns, too. They had to be. It's TJ Duckett. Probably. T- TJ Probably. I, didn't, I didn't look at the drive chart for that, but I would imagine that that is that is probably accurate. Yeah. So let's talk about Tevin Coleman. Uh, what did you like uh, about his his run game yesterday? He he looked extremely explosive, and I, I know that a couple people, including myself, commented on it right out of the gate. He just looked really explosive coming out of the uh, off the line. He just took off, and then uh, it was really interesting because I think his his top end speed was like a little bit over twenty miles an hour, is what I read. Uh, over twenty one. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and that's not, I mean, it's, it's not quite as fast as Matt Breida, uh, but uh, it's not that far behind and Coleman, you know, he's not, he's always been fast, but he's never been like, you know, 4.35 type fast. So I thought he looked great. His, his strides seemed very, very long and he just had this, this gate going on to, you know, where he was just exploding off the line and then he was just outpacing people from there. So Obviously, he looked great. As I said earlier, I thought the the right side of the line in particular did really well in creating some lanes and some holes. But all around, the running game was just really on top of it. You know, 35 carries, 235 yards once you discount Nick Mullins' uh, kneel downs. So, you know, that's almost seven yards a carry. Just phenomenal job all the way around. Tevin Coleman, obviously, reaping a lot of the uh, the benefits from that. But uh yeah, he looked great. I thought I thought right from right from the outset, he looked he looked fantastic. Had great vision too. Uh that big the long touchdown, the the 49-yard one. It was supposed to go to the left side of the line, um but he saw the opening to the right, cut back immediately and, you know, he ran through I think it was 49 yards was was the length of it, untouched, raced around. Once he got to the second level, the defensive backs weren't going to catch him. He 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 ran right around them. That was a that was a big story of the game yesterday in the running game was that a lot of those runs were untouched runs like they didn't make anybody miss they just hit a hole and scored I'm thinking about the Mostert touchdown at the end of the game that you know finalized the scoring the Debo Samuel run the Tevin Coleman one 
had some had some great holes with the offensive line. The run blocking was excellent. You're right, the right side of the line did well. Uh, Brunskill stood out a, a couple of times, especially on that Debo Samuel run that we already talked about. So very, very, very good. Very good game from the offense. Who was the, who so, was the, the idiot who said that we weren't running the ball well and wondered if we were going to not be able to run on these guys? Who was that? That was you, right? That wasn't me. Was it? Was it me? No, no, it was totally me. Okay. <laughs> I, uh, well, first I was thinking, okay, are we talking about four members? Are we talking somebody about somebody in the media? Media hasn't given us a ton of respect this year. Uh, we finally started getting it this week. Barnwell on uh, ESPN gave us some some props, but they they attached the Kansas City Chiefs logo on on the 49ers side, which you know even when we're getting props, we're we're disrespected. Oh, put that on the bulletin board, team. You know, get out there, right. get out there Thursday, and 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 take it to heart. Right, right alongside. They're okay. They're not world beaters. Hey, as I said in that thread, he's not wrong. We've only beaten American teams. That's We've beaten them pretty badly. So let's go to the defensive side of the ball because the defense was was just as great as it has been. I want to talk, of course, about Nick Bosa, and wow, did he have a big game? We're talking three sacks, an interception. Passes defense. He was all over the backfield. He made Kyle Allen's life miserable. So let's talk. A, let's talk an interesting question. At this point, defensive rookie of the year. We're not. We're we're running out of competition. Uh, I know Allen uh, for the Jaguars has seven sacks, which is the the same total Bosa has. But I think it's it's fair to say that Bosa has has stood out much larger. So let's ask defensive rookie of the year versus defensive player of the year. Obviously, he's more likely to get Rookie of the Year, but do you think he has a shot at both? I definitely think he has a shot at both. I would put him as the front runner for Defensive Rookie of the Year, and I know Josh Allen has been great, but I think there's a publicity issue there, to be quite frank about it. And I think Allen really has to show out in order to, to kind of overcome that. So I, I do think he's the favorite for Defensive Rookie of the Year. For Defensive Player of the Year, if he continues to play like this, he's absolutely in the running. It's just, you know, the competition obviously is a lot a, a lot stiffer in that regard. Jamie Collins has been amazing this year. Shaq Barrett still sitting there with uh, 10 sacks, I think, and four forced fumbles. So leading the league in both of those categories. So, uh, And then, honestly, like, Eric Armstead's not going to get the love, but his season's been great. I mean, he's he's got, what, five and a half sacks, and I think even PFF has him rated the number one run defensor for edge position going into yesterday. So he's an elite run stopper and he's, you know, he's got half a dozen sacks right now. So he won't get the the publicity obviously, but you know, he's certainly playing that level right now. But uh, I think if he, if Bosa continues to, to keep this up, he absolutely is in, is going to be in that discussion. It's just obviously a lot harder to, to pick that up given the, given the competition. Sure. So in this decade, we're, we're talking, it's basically a sack artist that, that wins the award. Somebody who is just incredibly disruptive up front that fits Bosa. So the last person that it doesn't fit is Luke Keekley in 2013. And I think the last defensive back that won the award was Palomalu in uh, 2010. But otherwise, we're talking guys like J.J. Watt, Terrell Suggs, Aaron Donald, Khalil Mack. These are the, these are the types of players winning the award. So currently, Bosa is tied for seventh in sacks and currently sits three total sacks behind the leaders, which are Miles Garrett and Shaq Barrett. They each have 10. He does have the same amount of tackles for a loss as those two, uh, 12, which is tied for second in the league. And of course, he has the, the forced fumble, fumble recovery, the interception from, from this week now. Um, 
I think of the guys ahead of him, you have Garrett and Barrett. They're on two of the losing teams going nowhere. And I would think unless one of them blows him out of the water, you know, typically those awards are, are more likely to go to the to a to a guy on a winning team who's who's really helping his team win. So I think for that reason, uh, you, you might be able to also rule out Chandler Jones who's ahead of him. But unless, you know, like I said, one of those three blows everyone else out of the water with with stats that just are unfathomable, I, I find it hard to see any of them going going over Bosa if he's if he's close and comparable. So I think right now, uh, you know, some of the guys I'm looking at are also uh, Preston Smith, um, Daniel Hunter of Minnesota, Zadarius Smith. They're, they're all guys who are in that same range as Bosa, and they might be doing some some pretty good numbers when it comes to quarterback hits and, and tackles for a loss and that sort of thing. But what an impressive season. He's, he's currently on pace to break the rookie sack record. So the rookie sack record, record is 14 and a half, set by Javon Kurse. Our, our team record is 14 by Alden back in 2011. And he, you know, right now looks like he has a good chance at, at, at beating that. He, and he's getting better. That's, that's the crazy thing. These last few weeks are his, has been him as the most dominant. It was Jay who pointed out in the, in the forum that, you know, he was, wasn't in his top shape at the beginning of the season. Cause he had the, the preseason or the not even preseason, but the training camp high ankle sprain. And now that he's in top form, He's just a, a joy to watch. And and can I just mention that he still has four games against Arizona, or two games against Arizona and two games against Jermaine Effetti in Seattle. So that's those four games out of what's remaining. So, and he still has another game against the Rams. I mean, and the Falcons. I, sh- I should add those on them on there as well. I mean, it's not like he suddenly is he, – he does face some stiffer competition from teams like the Saints and, and potentially the Ravens and the Packers because I imagine, you know, guys like Armstead and Bakhtiari are going to be on Bosa. But he's got some lighter matchups coming up too. So, yeah, he's like you guys said, he's getting better. He's – you know, the competition still kind of light in some regards. Like he could have a, a really monster back half of this, this season, which is saying something for a guy who already has seven. Definitely. So somebody who did not have a great game yesterday, we're going to go to the Panthers uh, because Kyle Allen was looking like a really strong quarterback coming into the game. He had never thrown an interception in his career. He was 5-0 and as the Panthers quarterback when he started a game. And then he met the 49ers secondary along with Nick Bosa, who also picked off an interception. The other two went to Emmanuel Mosley and Richard Sherman. Our secondary had just a tremendous game yesterday. Uh, once again, in terms of net passing yards, we held a team to 100 or less. You know, we had three games under 100 yesterday. They got just to the 100 mark, so we have to kind of change the qualification there a little bit. But what a what a game by the passing defense. This this team is unreal lately. Our, our passing defense has allowed a total of 276 net passing yards over four games. I forget who posted it in the forum, but it was a, a tweet with, that said that the combined passer rating for teams over those four games was 42 point something, very, very low, where if teams just threw incomplete every single pass, it'd be a 39.6. So they're basically just three rating points above being better off just spiking the ball on, on every single pass play. 
That's incredible. What what did you like most yesterday? So first off, I will say that that was my, my that's my favorite stat that that has come out during this whole run uh, of how dominant the defense has been has been the thirty nine point six versus the forty two uh, rating. That I, I love that stat. It is it really puts things into perspective about how it, uh, you know how well we're playing right now. But yes, this this defense has just been, and it's not it's not just secondary. The secondary obviously is is lights out too. But the entire defense as a whole is just playing so well. I mean, Christian McCaffrey did a little bit of damage, but not really. Like, he had one catch that went for, like, 20 yards, and then he just had a bunch of things, you know, really close to the line of scrimmage uh, and, and didn't really pick up too much in the in the receiving game. And credit goes to that a lot of times for, you know, to Quan and Fred Warner. So even they, those guys are playing extremely well in coverage. It's just it's it's really awesome to see Nick Bosa's interception was was just all one hundred percent Nick Bosa. That was that was amazing. But you know, incredible. I, I do want to I do want to give some credit because you know, like I was hard on on uh, Richard Sherman in Game One, and I I still feel rightfully so. But you know, what these guys are also doing is what they're giving up is you know we we've commented on it in threads before, you know, Sherman gives a lot of cushions sometimes is that they're giving these, these cushions, they're giving up some stuff underneath and, and teams aren't even hitting that all the time, but they're giving that stuff. And then they're just not missing the tackles. So I, that is so huge. Like, and I, we don't really spend enough time talking about it or thinking about it, about just these, these tackles that, that get made when, you know, they, they take something underneath, you know, some small hitch route and, and and we're just there and we shut it down the minute they catch the ball. You just don't see a ton of, you know, yards after the catch from our opponents coming through. Uh, you know, obviously Pittsburgh uh, had a big one, but that was week three. So since then, everything has just, we, we've just done a remarkable job of laying it down the minute they, they touch the ball. We're there. You know, you can go back to the Rams game and Jimmy Ward is just, you know, on those last couple of plays. He's just right there the moment the ball gets there. And that more than anything has just really been something really neat to watch is just how these guys just completely collapse on the ball when it's in the air. And then there's just nowhere to go. There's no room to breathe for the receivers once they get the ball. And it's, it's, it's amazing. So great job again. Uh, you know, c- congratulations to Emmanuel Mosley. I think that was his first interception yesterday. I uh, thought he made a good yep. play. So, uh, you know, and he's been fantastic. You know, and we're still missing Akello Weatherspoon. So this is fantastic. Uh, you know, the, the entire defense is just, um, they are matching up really well. They are, it's, it's completely symbiotic because the secondary's not getting credit for a lot of them, but, you know, they should have sacks too. DJ Jones's sack was, was not DJ Jones. It was a coverage sack and, and he just got credit for him for finally taking down Kyle Allen. So, you know, they're, they're doing it all and it's, it's great to see. Definitely. And I want to give some extra credit to, to Jimmy Ward. I know you mentioned him there in in your bit, but you, you talked about not giving up a lot of run after the catch since the Steelers game. And that's basically because Jimmy Ward was in start, inserted back into the, the starting lineup. So we've we've talked about, you know, what his negatives are, and it's basically just health. But his positives have been that he has truly been the eraser. He doesn't let things get behind him. Yesterday, it showed up again on one of uh, Christian McCaffrey's big runs, he against another safety, he might've gone for a touchdown, but Ward stayed with him and he made a sure tackle 
it was a big play. I mean, it, the, the defense didn't stop the, the big play from happening, but Ward stopped it from becoming a touchdown. It stopped it from becoming seven points. And I believe on the very next play, that was Bosa's interception. So, so credit to Ward there. But I want to ask a question because you brought up not having Witherspoon. And I think this is a good time to discuss what happens when Witherspoon is healthy. So it sounds like the, the goal is for it to be next week against the Seahawks, where he should be back. Do you believe we go back to Witherspoon, who was playing outstanding, you know, possibly one of the top three cornerbacks in the league when, when he was starting? Or do you go with Emmanuel Mosley, who has possibly been the best cornerback since that time? It's really tough, right? Because you're, you're absolutely right. I, Weatherspoon was playing the best football of his career, and he was the best player on that, you know, in that secondary for those, those first couple weeks. And now you have Mosley coming in, who's just playing lights out. I think you still go back to Spoon. I think, uh, Same. yeah, I think if you want to rotate him a little bit, you can. Uh, I think that's fine. I, you know, like Sherman doesn't play every snap. He, you, you know, I mean, he plays most of them, but he doesn't play every one of them. And, you know, same, why can't you just, you know, maybe rotate him in and out and keep him fresh? I don't know. I just, I, I think you probably just go back to Spoon. I think he's, he, he you know, he, it's not like he was playing badly. And I don't think that Mosley is playing better than he played. So I think you can, there's a couple things you can do. One, you can take your time with, with bringing Spoon back if you chose. If he has another setback or if he's still not feeling right, you you don't have to feel pressured to bring him back. And then you can rotate him once they're there. So I, I, I don't know. I think you still go back to Spoon, but I think obviously you have to feel a lot more comfortable as a team with what we have behind him in case something happens you know, you, you're not panicking or anything like that. We are, we are a team that is four cornerbacks deep and you have to be in this league. And I'm, I'm counting Kwan, even though he's strict, you know, for the most part, just a slot corner, but yeah, we're, we're four. It seems like we're four very good corners deep. And, you know, if, if they want to alternate them in and out, bouncing back and forth, that's fine with me. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a good way to go, but I agree with you. You have to go back to Witherspoon. Um, for one thing, and I mentioned this in the in, on the board, I don't believe that you can bench Witherspoon because of an injury, which I know we've seen it before. Um, of course, I'm going to go back to Alex Smith in 2012 when he was playing lights out, and then we put Kaepernick in after an injury and never went back to Alex Smith ever again as a team. But it it just it sends a bad message to the team, and with the way this team's chemistry is, it's it's one of the best qualities of the team is why I love this team so much. There's, there's, there's no me players on the team. You know, everybody's a team player and, and it's great to see. And I think that benching Witherspoon just sends the wrong message. It sends the wrong message to the team. And there's a lot of teams around the league right now who are really sending poor messages to their, their players by, by making them play through injuries or not trusting them when they're, they're looking to get uh, second opinions and that kind of thing. And I, I just don't think that's a route that we would want to go. So I'd put Witherspoon in there, knowing that you have Mosley as a backup, you can rotate him like you mentioned, and knowing that after next year, or maybe even next year, you can move to the future with his, which is Witherspoon and Mosley on the outside. So, um, but, but I don't want to, I don't want to continue too much about the the secondary because there's a lot of other topics I'd love to talk about. We're already about halfway through, so let's go to George Kittle. Yesterday was George's self-made. Uh, Self-made holiday, the national tight end day, and he had a pretty big game. Six receptions, 86 yards. 
he had uh, the one reception that, uh, you know, Reed hit him and, or, or no, I don't think it was Reed, but uh, got the hit and had an extra 15 yards tacked on for penalty. So had a big game. And of course, he's a blocking monster. He is just phenomenal in run blocking. So let's talk about George Kittle. Uh, what did you see out there? I, George is George at this point. I, I, I You run out of superlatives at a certain point in time, right? Because he is, I mean, he's, he's honestly the, he, he's not as big and physical and imposing and just, you know, freakish as Gronk was, but he's the closest thing I think we've had to Gronk since, since Gronk was in his prime because he's complete out there, right? He, he can catch, he can, he can block. He just loves it. I mean, he's just, he's not not maybe not as meatheadish as as Gronk but he's still a little bit off his rocker you know George Kittle so yeah. <laughs> uh, in a fun way of course I just Definitely. yeah you at a certain point in time you there you run out of things to say he's the best tight end in the game I at, at this point when you take him as an overall package I don't think it's particularly close I think I mentioned this in a couple of threads yesterday it, whatever we get him for so there hasn't been a really huge tight end signing um, in a couple of years. I mean, I, I think the last big one was probably Kelsey's, which is several years old now. So he's definitely going to reset that market. But if he costs less than $19 million a year, he's a bargain because nobody can tell me that he doesn't mean as much to us as Michael Thomas means to the Saints as right yeah obj meant to the giants like that you can't tell me that he's out there he the the blocks he throws you know we know he can catch balls all day and hit 1200 yards and yeah no so when we sign him for some deal that obviously resets the tight end market but it's still only like 16 million dollars a year everybody just clap your hands and take a moment to appreciate what a steal it is that's all i'm saying I, I agree wholeheartedly. It's it's going to be a steal. You know, we know that's going to be a big number. We're we're saving up uh, cap space for that. Uh, I I don't know that he's going to get his extension this off season. I think uh, if we're talking him versus Buckner, it makes more sense to do Buckner first, just because Buckner you know already is going to have a high cap number next year. Whereas when we extend Kittle, his number is going to jump up quite a bit from the fifth round rookie salary. So, but either way, those are two players that we're not going to lose. And I, I, I feel confident in saying that. And I, I feel confident that both are going to get the, the contracts they deserve. Also love that you brought up his personality. I think that's terrific. One of my my favorite moments was DeForest Buckner it, during his uh, press conference after the game yesterday was was just up on the, uh, you know, up at the podium giggling because you just heard Kittle outside just <laughs> raising a ruckus and having fun outside with the, with the rest of the team. He went ahead and named... Uh, Nick Bosa, an honorary tight end in honor of NFL tight end day after the <laughs> after the nice reception and, and run. The, the team has fun, and and to me, this makes this makes this team more fun to watch than any 49ers team I can remember. And maybe not because it doesn't have the as great players as the the 2012 team did, where you're talking about Willis and his prime, Bowman and his prime, Gore, Davis, all all of those kind of guys. It might not be in, to that level. But in terms of personalities, this team's just fun. It's it's a fun team to be around. So moving on, let's talk about. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just saying, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Like it's just personality-wise, it's just a lot of fun. So I want to talk about Kittle's uh, quarterback now because once again, you know, we're in a podcast and we're about two thirds of the way done, and we still haven't gotten to Jimmy Garoppolo. 
Jimmy Garoppolo has has just been the quarterback we've needed this year. He hasn't had to do anything yet, and I don't think that's a bad thing. Some people do. Some people are uh, pushing for him to have have to have this big game, but Garoppolo had his typical Garoppolo game. He had one absolutely horrible pass, followed by just a solid day of of leading his team. Had over eighty percent completion percentage on the day. That that interception though was was pretty rough. So luckily we had N. Farrell and and Papa Shogun. They both uh, kind of pointed out how that one went and looked like Garoppolo was looking at Pettis. Pettis might not have looked back, which to me makes sense given how Pettis' season has gone. And then Garoppolo just needed to force it to George Kittle, and and he threw it right to Luke Keekley. But otherwise, he had a great game. You know, he made those big third down passes, which is something that he's been known for. Emmanuel Sanders, we're going to talk about him in a second, but he caught two of them uh, for first downs on third down, and then he had the touchdown as well. Um, Garoppolo finished with two touchdowns, although the second one was was basically all uh, Tevin Coleman. So what did what did you see in Garoppolo's game yesterday? So I, I do want to say, just on that the Tevin Coleman touchdown, I he did do something that I, I appreciated, which was uh, when he takes the snap, I think Coleman, honestly, I think Coleman was always the target. And he takes a snap, but he looks off to the other side and he looks off Keekly by just like a step or a step and a half. He gets him, he gets Keekly to drift, not much, like I said, maybe a step or a step and a half to the left and then comes back and dumps it off to, to Tevin Coleman. And because of that step and a half, you know, Keekly never had a chance to really bring down Coleman and it was a touchdown. It was what we had been talking about, you know, the week before a little bit where he didn't look off Apke on the deep deep throw well this time he looked he, he looked keekly off the actual intended target in my opinion and then came back and i thought i so i did think that was a good job by him uh just right after the snap Excellent so point. but other than that uh yeah i, I do want to uh, say thanks to and pharrell and, and and papa for for putting out the uh the information because uh the way i i thought when I saw the play live, I definitely thought that interception was just a terrible play for Garoppolo. And we did kind of get confirmation that, yeah, it was just a bit of a rough play. He, he, you know, he double clutched and whatever it was, you know, if he, you know, if Pettis hadn't made his break yet, you still got to throw that ball. You know, that's, he was wide open. If he's not ready for it, that's on Pettis. And, you know, I mean, am I going to be shocked if Pettis hadn't been ready for it? Probably not, but that's still a ball, even if Pettis isn't ready and he's not out of his break that you have to throw. But otherwise, again, yeah, it's like you said, like he has his his one WTF throw and then he's just solid the rest of the game. I uh, I was listening to another podcast, uh, Pick 6 podcast, I think, and they asked a question and I think it was a legitimate question. And, you know, it's a little bit different when you're not a 49ers fan and you don't watch every one of our games and they were talking about Garoppolo and they plainly asked, is Garoppolo having a good year or a bad year? And it's really funny because when you watch it and you look at his stats and things like that, I can absolutely see how you would ask that question. And it's so weird to be able to ask that question, to look at somebody if you're box score scouting or just seeing, you know, a couple of games here and there, maybe not the full, uh, you know, the, the full picture of what Garoppolo has done this year. And you could absolutely look at him and say, is he being, is he, good or is he bad? I don't, you know, because there are things that kind of go both ways. So uh thought he was, thought he was good. Got a little bit lucky with the, uh, well, I mean, he didn't, but maybe Bourne did uh, with the tip pass. You know, we got, we caught a little break on the first drive. That game could have, could have been a little bit different. 
if Kittle doesn't come down with that that tip. But uh, he made some really nice throws. I thought, you know, like the throw to, to Sanders, I think it was on third down, somewhat long, uh, picked up a first down. Uh, he put it in a great place, great catch by Sanier, Sanders. But, uh, yeah, he's just – he just keeps the chains moving and he just does his job. And yes, I want our offense to be more explosive, but you know, outside of that one WTF throw, he's just very solid. Definitely. And this is why you can't, you can't look at a box score and, and tell how a quarterback did. So I love stats. Obviously we, we talk about them weekly and, and I, I throw out a bunch of, you know, fun little tidbits and that kind of thing. But Stats don't tell the whole story. Stats don't tell the things like the fact that two of Garoppolo's seven interceptions bounced off the receiver's hands and into the opposing team. Doesn't tell the story that three of his touchdowns have been called back on kind of iffy penalties. I mean, the one yesterday was definitely blocking downfield um, by Debo on the, the the touchdown for Kittle that got called past, who also has been the one who who lost three touchdowns. So those things aren't showing up. And it's not showing up on his third downs. I mean, you can look at a third down completion percentage, but you don't see the kind of poise that he has. You you don't see the tackles being out. Garoppolo, I I think he's having a great season. If you look at efficiency stats, it's very similar to Rogers right now in a, in a lot of ways. I I saw some you know some writer had posted them on Twitter, and ranking wise, he is right there in in all of those important ones uh, that that you would you would expect Rogers to be good at other than the bulk stats. He doesn't have the yardage. He doesn't have a ton of touchdowns. He has nine in seven games, uh, which would put him on pace to, to get to about 20. But, you know, will he get there? We don't know. It's, it's a little, a little early to tell. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how the rest of the season goes. But uh, I, I think, I think he's having a good year personally. I, I think that the fans of other teams or whoever who think that this is a, this is, you know, the 2018 Bears or the 2017 Jaguars, you know, where it's this great defensive team that's basically carrying a mediocre or subpar quarterback are going to be a little bit surprised. Now, I'm not always, you know, super enthused with Jimmy, but he's not Mitch Trubisky and he's not Blake Bortles. Like, I, I think if people think that, they are going to get rudely awakened at some point down the line. So uh, looking forward to seeing that. Definitely. Let's just hope that some of the teams kind of look at the box scores and think the same way. And, and we get some, some more cocky, cocky teams that are, you know, just not impressed with the, the undefeated 49ers. But that said, let's move along a little bit. Let's talk about his new number one receiver, Emmanuel Sanders, who, played the most snaps of any receiver yesterday, despite only being with the team for about five days before the game. That was really cool. His box score, similarly, not overly impressive. He did have the one touchdown, um, but only four receptions in 25 yards. But that doesn't really tell the story because those receptions, I mean, other than his his first one, which was on the second play of the game, just a simple, you know, five or six yard out, the receptions went for first downs or touchdowns. Garoppolo looked very comfortable uh, targeting him in clutch situations, and Sanders did what he's known for. He made plays on the ball, didn't drop anything, made some tough catches, and it was great. It's the part of the offense that's been missing, and I think that that also helped play a role in Kittle's big game. You know, teams can no longer key on just George Kittle in the passing game. They have to pay attention to one of our wide receivers, which is which is excellent. 
I, I'm excited to see what happens moving forward as he gets more and more uh, comfortable with our playbook. Obviously, we've, we've talked a lot about how the terminology and everything is the same or at least similar, and the concepts are similar from what he was running in, in Denver. But now he's excited. Uh, he went from a, a team that's 2-6 and six now to a team that's 7-0, and oh, and I, I think we're going to have a, a really good player for the stretch run. Uh, what did you like yesterday uh, out of Emmanuel Sanders? Yeah, you actually you actually stole my thing, which was the uh, the first downs and the touchdowns. So, you know, the biggest thing, obviously, I don't want to see four catches, twenty five yards. I'd like to see him, you know, pick up a little, you know, bigger, <laughs> some bigger yards here and there, and and so on. But that'll come with time. But the the main point was it's 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 about when he's making these receptions and what those receptions mean. So, you know, as you said, first downs, touchdowns, having a guy to pair along with Kittle that can be that guy that we look to that alpha if you want to if that's what you want to use I think that's important you know we had that conversation way earlier in the season on a podcast I think about how that defense or that wide receiver core was going to shake out and who was going to be the guy and if it would just be you know a, a random assortment of whoever on any given week and I you know that's worked to an extent I do think but there is a certain comfort in knowing that we have this guy who is a, you know, a legit NFL receiver and a good one, and we can rely on him to get things done, and he will be there when we need him to be there, and, and, and so on and so forth. So that was the main thing I took from it, obviously. You know, he just got here, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see some, like, you know, from a number standpoint. We'll see better better games moving forward, but it just the uh, the feeling it sort of gave to me watching him on the field and seeing, you know, the reliance that we could have on him in big moments. That was really big. Definitely. And while the box score doesn't look overly impressive, the four receptions, 25 yards and one touchdown, it is important to note that he led the team in amongst the wide receiver group in all of those numbers, which kind of speaks to why we need Emmanuel Sanders. <laughs> uh, but let's, right. yeah, let's move on to the, the other phase of the game. Special teams. Um, and this week, we'll give it a, a, a mini what the hell, because there was a, a pretty poor snap, which is unusual for Nelson, but, you know, he might have been shaking off some rust that led to just kind of a, a botched extra point attempt at, with Wisnowski. I don't know what he was trying to do, but he, he was trying to do something in credit to him. Uh, I, I also <laughs> want to point out a couple of other things that happened on special teams. We'll get them all out of the way uh, all at once. The The best special teams play of the game was one that technically ended in a negative play, a penalty, but, you know, give me a penalty every single time and just let Wisnowski run down and, and knock a returner's head off. I don't care. I'll take that each and every time. Just always let the punter d just deplete somebody. That's, that's cool. Uh, Richie James made some good decisions, good decisions in the return game. I liked the special teams overall. There were even through the, some of the, the rust and some of the quote unquote negative plays. What did you, what did you think? Uh, so I wanted to comment for sure on Wisnowski's penalty, which I thought was just hilarious because I'm kind of with you. Like maybe it was just because of the game flow and, it, you know, maybe that would have bugged me in a close game. But I thought it was funny. I thought he actually did a pretty good job, to be perfectly honest, because I thought he, he just got unfortunate in that Bonifon or however you pronounce that. Uh, yeah. Carolina's returners that name. Uh, he just lowered his head at kind of the same time. But if you look at the the replay, I mean, Wish is really leading with the with the shoulder too, because his shoulder barrels right into him. 
uh, at the same time. So I think he was doing okay there. I think he just got unfortunate with when the heads of both of them were lowered. So that being said, uh, Wish also might have had his best punt as a 49er yesterday. So throw that out. Oh, I there. forgot about that one. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Great punt from Wish on, on that one. So uh, the, the only thing that, yeah, like you said, maybe Nelson has some rust, but you know, the kicking game still, I'm not 100% on. I, I mentioned it in thread on one of the extra points. It was just, we got it off and, and gold, gold hit it and made it, but it was, it was a butt ugly kick. Yeah. Like it just was not a, 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 a good looking extra point. And it's things like that. Like, yeah, I, I know that we actually made it. And we got the point and maybe in the longer scheme, it doesn't mean anything, but just seeing that when you've struggled so much all year doesn't inspire confidence moving forward. So something I'm going to continue to look for you know, look at each week and, and it just didn't look like gold got a good hit on it. No, it didn't. Um, and uh, yeah, the kicking game is a concern, but as long as we keep winning by double digits, uh, then I don't really need to worry too much about it. So let's, let's move on. Let's give out the game balls. I'm going to let you go first. I, I think the, the two game balls are, are going to be pretty obvious. So we'll, we'll let you go first and see if you can, you can throw me for a loop. I'm giving mine to Kyle Shanahan. Just take it, Kyle. Just take it because his work has just been exemplary. I mean, the, the way he's managed his, the offense since the injuries and, and maybe this is a cumulative game ball, but you know, we, we can't be on tackles four and five and beat teams like the Rams on the road and Carolina. I mean, these are decent teams, you know, these are not bad teams and these are teams that have a ferocious pass rush. You know, the Rams have Donald and he somehow found a way to just, you know, mitigate that the circumstances so well. And the game plan yesterday just to come out. And I mean, God, what a first drive that was like. And it really just set the tone. And he's just he's so good at all this. And I felt like, you know what, Kyle, I, I hadn't, hadn't given you one yet this year. And I know that there are two people that are going to be mad at me now. But Kyle Shanahan gets my game. ball. I am glad you gave it to Shanahan. So I kind of expected you to. You did mention it in the the one thread that you know he deserved the the game ball, and I agree. So he's never going to be able to give one to himself. That would be that would be a little awkward, a, bit, a little narcissistic. But he can give them to him, and it's true. His his game plan was the reason we scored. So everybody will think Tevin Coleman deserves it on the offensive side of the ball. Coleman had a great game. You know, can't discount that a hundred yard game with four touchdowns. But it's Shanahan. Shanahan's game plan led to it. And a perfect example of Shanahan's game plan and Shanahan's brilliance is the play that he blamed himself for, which is the safety that we took when he decided to do a seven-step drop in the end zone and leave school one-on-one. And you got a brief glimpse of what life would be like if we had just a terrible coordinator in the situation that we're in, missing two starting tackles. That it was it was a brief hiccup of, of poor decision-making on his part, but it... It, it illustrated perfectly just how impressive Kyle Shanahan has been since we lost Staley in, in the Bengals game. So I'm glad you gave it to him. On the other side of the ball, there's there's only one option, and it's really the only player that, that needs a game ball this week. And, of course, it's Nick Bosa. I, I believe I gave it to him last week as well, so he's going to get another one, and he might just continue getting them at the rate he's going. But three sacks, an interception, and you can't, I, you can't give it to anybody else on that defense he was absolutely lights out great to see from a rookie and just just a terrific game 
So I want to move along now and go to the Cardinals game. Let's give a quick preview of that since we're, we're nearing the, the end of the podcast. So it's a short week. And the big question I have is, does it matter? Does it really matter that we're going to be on a short week versus the Cardinals? Um, are we going to get to eight? No. What do you think? I, I do think we will. This is sort of a weird game. I think in the end, it's kind of like uh, the, the Washington game. And what I mean by that is in Washington, we had the weather be this great, you know, th- this, this, this great circumstance that really mitigated the, the difference in talent, right? Because we couldn't really play a full 100% game. And, uh, and that made up for a lot of the, the difference, the disparity between the two teams. And the schedule in these sort of situations can kind of do the same here. You know, you have the short week. We're also traveling. I, I know it's not a big, you know, it's, it's not a long, <laughs> long trip or anything. And, and Arizona's coming back. And it's a divisional matchup. So it just has all these, like, wonky things. So if we lost, I wouldn't be, like, super floored. You know, uh, I would be a little bit surprised, but I wouldn't be completely blown blown away. I think the difference in talent is too much, though. So I think they might keep it closer than a lot of people would expect just based on records and, and the hype that we're starting to get as a team. But I think in the end, the talent is just going to work, at, you know, work in our favor and we will win the game ultimately. So I'm glad you put, brought up those points. I think that they're very accurate. To me, there are two possible reasons that, that it t- this team would lose this game. Uh, the first being it's a short week with basically no practice time versus a divisional opponent. Um, and it's a game coming off a statement victory with a huge game coming against a divisional opponent next week, the classic trap game of overlooking an inferior opponent. The latter, I, I just don't see that happening. Uh, this team is constantly talking about being focused on one game at a time. Shanahan has coached the team well. I just, I can't see us overlooking an opponent. That To me, that's just never going to happen. So the other option would be the short game with no prep time. That I can see being problematic, um, mainly because of the opposing quarterback being Kyle, Kyler Murray, uh, with little practice time to, to game plan for him and his scrambling abilities. And, you know, having somebody mirroring that in practice, I think that could potentially be uh, a little bit of a problem. But, but otherwise, as you said, we have a better roster roster across the board regardless of the position and you know offense meant but Kyle Shanahan is also the superior coach the the only other possible way we lose this game is if it's via some some wild witchcraft Halloween night shenanigans or, or whatever's going to happen there so Kyler Murray he's been okay above average maybe but the big thing in this game is we're going to see the number one versus the number two pick we're going to see how that goes the first time those two will meet and it's going to be fun to watch you know he's Kyler Murray certainly hasn't been bad for a rookie, leading a, a pretty poor roster. So it's that's not really a knock on him, but but he's been human, and he's about to face a defense that has been making quarterbacks look, you know, like very not human, very very poor, very very mediocre at at best. So I look at this game that he had against the Panthers, where uh, they sacked him eight times, and I really feel like our defense is is going to feast on him. So yeah, he's mobile. Yeah, he might escape a lot, but I. I don't think our defensive line is any less agile than the Panthers players who got to him. So I, I think as well, this is an eight and O team as of Halloween night. Yeah. And, and, you know, unfortunately for Kyler too, I mean, the offensive line obviously is not great there. That was a, a major issue last year. It was one of the worst I'd ever seen. Uh, but he's also his, his, the team's just banged up, you know, they chase Edmonds is probably not going to be there and he's looked fantastic for most of the year. David Johnson's not going to be ready to go. So they, they traded for Kenyon Drake who, 
is a, is a fine player. He's not an every down back, and he's not going to know the playbook all that well, although you don't always need to as a running back. Christian Kirk's been banged up for most of the year. Like, this is not a team that's in the best place, even though, you know, Kirk is, is playing. It's just, it's not 100% healthy, which doesn't help them out because our defense largely is. And I, I agree with you. I think that they're just going to continue to feast. And he might pull a, you know, a rabbit out of his hat or two. Um, and he, he has that option. He's the first, like, super mobile quarterback we're going to face this year. Uh, he won't be the last, obviously. So it'll be interesting to see how how we how we handle that. I, I think we have players that'll that'll be able to help run him down. I mean, certainly, I think there's going to be some times where he's going to escape. I don't know that he is going to have as poor a game as the last four quarterbacks. One can hope, but uh, I, I don't know that that'll happen. I think his escape ability is gonna is gonna help him in that regard. But from there, we just need the the secondary to keep doing what they're doing. Moving on to the next topic. The, the big thing that might happen this game is we might get Joe Staley back. He practiced last week, uh, didn't seem to have any setbacks, said he felt good after the, the Wednesday practice. Um, apparently he had tried to give it a go on Sunday and he, he felt sore after that game. So at this point, it looks like he might make his return for the first time since week two. But the question I have is, given the opponent and given how well we've played against, you know, probably some superior opponents with just school and Brunskill, would you play Staley this week on a short week when he's not going to have a lot of um, time to prepare, even though he did have the three practices last week? Or, or do you rest him another week, give him the, the second you know, mini-buy, uh, and, and play him a Monday night against the Seahawks? What do you think? I, I rest him. And, you know, the one is that I don't think he's the difference between a win and a loss in this scenario. I think over the last three weeks we have shown – that we can win in, in the circumstance we are in and we can do it against better teams in Carolina. Uh, secondarily, I'm actually with you and I'm glad you brought it up, but he hasn't really been able to go through everything without getting sore or, you know, having some negative, some negative things coming back afterward. So I would like to really see him get through an entire full week's practice session, you know, not just do the individual drills, do the team drills, Get in the, the full slate of practices and see how you feel. You're not going to get that on this week because of the abbreviated week you know, schedule. So I just don't think you need to go there. And I would just prefer to, to, to keep him out for one more. I'm with you. I, I think I'd just prefer to rest him a week because even if he was the difference between a win and a loss, I didn't think we would be at seven and one at this point in the season. I thought six and two is where we would be. So seven and one is still an improvement from where I thought. And that was still playoff bound at 11 and five. And on top of that, there's to me, there's no, there's no reason to risk an injury. Now, the one thing I will say is that Justin school popped up on the injury report this week. Uh, so they gave a fake report as to who practiced and didn't practice. If there would be a practice on, on Monday, which there, there wasn't, and school was on that as being limited. I don't know if that would mean that he's questionable for the game or what that is, but that would be the only thing that I could think of that that might, you know, cause some cause some pause there. Because uh, I don't think we want to see Sam Young in at left tackle, even though he finally got in into a game this week when we got to play all the backups. But the to me, the only reason you you rush Staley into this game, and maybe not even then, is if Justin School can't go. But otherwise. Let him rest, give him the extra week, 
he'll be ready to go uh, for that Monday night game against the Seahawks when we will really need him. And luckily, you know, the reinforcements might be arriving that week because that seems to also be the the target for McGlinchey, Juszczyk, and uh, Witherspoon as well. So we'll see. It'll be great to get all those players back. So that about wraps it up for another episode of the 49ers Future Podcast. You know, it's another great, great week, another great discussion. Forge, any last words? No, I'm just really excited about the the game Thursday night. Uh, be really interested to see how uh, how it goes with basically recording you know two podcasts in a in a fairly short time period. I mean, we're talking probably you know we'll we'll have the next one done by Saturday or something. But so looking forward to that. Get to talk to you twice in a week, maybe. Yeah, well, definitely. Uh, at the least, we'll we'll record at our old time on Sunday if we can't do it on Friday or Saturday night. I think uh, schedules might be a little weird this weekend, but either way, that's that's looking into the future. I, I hope we get to, to record a podcast with, with being 8-0. I don't see any reason that it shouldn't happen. Um, but, you know, I skipped something on the outline, and, and I'm going to go back to it really quick just before we're done, uh, just because I want to I wanna see how much, uh, you know, crap we can get here. So last week we, we did our predictions for the Panthers game, and we were all pretty off. So Clark was the only one of the three of us who who decided to give a, a double digit win, uh, you know, margin of victory. He he predicted a twenty eight to fourteen, and then I I was bold enough to say a win, but only by you know twenty to seventeen, and you went with the loss. Now we did get Emmanuel Sanders, but let's be honest, Emmanuel Sanders was was not the sole difference in that. Should we be ashamed of ourselves? I mean, I should. You guys are fine. You guys took the win. And, and, you know, nobody ever predicts a blowout, right? You go on to all the various websites like The Athletic and stuff, and and they make their predictions. And nobody ever predicts a blowout between two comparable teams leading into a game. So you guys were fine. I should be shamed. But as I said before, I do this so that you guys in the 49ers future forum – don't have to bear this cross. Like this is my gift to you guys. Well, thank you. We, so we appreciate it. Yes. We appreciate it. The, so we're giving them a gift just by doing the podcast and helping the team go seven and zero. that's, that's solely us and nobody else. You're helping by, you know, your, your superstition of, of picking the team to lose. So it helped. Thank you. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, everything credit to us. Nothing is our fault. No. So if, if we're seven and one uh, coming out of out of Thursday night, then we're gonna we're gonna point the blame and point the finger and see how that goes. <laughs> that said, everybody, I think I'm gonna point it at Clark. I'm sorry. I think I'm gonna point it at Clark. That sounds good. I mean, he was just a guest. He's not one of the hosts. We, you know, if we don't want to, we don't ever have to have him back. That's fine. <laughs> right. So thank you all once again for making it to the end of another 49ers future episode. Um, this has been a blast as always. And as always, we would like you to share this podcast with all of your friends who might be 49ers fans and like us on Twitter, follow us on Twitter, like the podcast, follow the podcast, subscribe, do all of those fun things on social media that, uh, you know, would help us out. That'd be great. Otherwise, thank you so much. And we will chat again next week. Take care. Thanks, guys. Trade CJ Beathard, Kyle. Just do it.